Good afternoon. This is Jim Colburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here to talk about energy markets. You can learn more about us by checking out our website, commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcast and blog. We would like to thank our friends at EK Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any particular trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We are not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative product. Uh, Today is February 23rd, and it's the afternoon. And Andy, I think we know our starting point today. It'll be the uh, geopolitical arena. If you could, just give us a little background on how important uh, Russia is to the oil markets and you know, what, uh, what, what sanctions might bring. Okay, good afternoon, everybody, or a good week. Uh, or if, if you're hearing this, whenever you're hearing this, um, hope you're having a good day. But let's talk with, uh, let's talk about uh, Russia and uh, its role in, in the energy world. I think from a geopolitical standpoint, uh, most of you, uh, have been following the um, developments uh, with Russia and, and Ukraine, and uh, I'm I'm not going to do a play-by-play on on the developments. But what I am going to talk about are uh, some of the numbers that the the market has been uh, obsessing about, rightly so. Russia is one of the largest uh, oil producers. Uh, last quarter, they probably produced about uh, 11 to 11.1 million barrels a day of crude and condensates. Crude was probably just around uh, 10 million barrels a day. They're also uh, one of the world's largest exporters of both crude and uh, refined products. Uh, crude exports globally are uh, of crude and condensates are over 5 million barrels a day. And uh, of which half of that goes into uh, Europe, the other half to uh, Asia. Europe exports through uh, pipelines, as we know, and uh, also via uh, waterborne transport. They're also a big export, as I said, of refined products. It's probably a million barrels a day, at least. Uh, of which uh, most of that is uh, gas oil, some gasoline, uh, and of course uh, heavy heavy products, as well as some uh, as well as some NGLs. They are also a, as we all know, uh, a major exporter of uh, natural gas. They export probably thirty three to thirty five percent of uh, Europe's needs through a variety of uh, pipelines and through uh, LNG exports. They, um, as we know, uh, the pipelines go through, uh, go through, the, uh, through Ukraine and also through uh, Western Europe. Now, look, getting back to petroleum for a second, uh, what I neglected to say is those crude exports to 
about 20 to 25% of European crude runs. So the Russian barrel is really important to, um, to European refiners, both in Western European, Western Europe, Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, Russian crude finds its way into, um, you know, in, into the crude mix and um, certainly a, a loss of, of uh, that big of a supply would be um, really devastating for, um, for refiners in, in Europe, which is why the market, of course, has been rallying sharply over these last couple of weeks as, as a potential invasion of uh, Ukraine becomes uh, more and more realistic. Do you, do you, it, it, it seems like the, the sanctions are not going to restrict the flow of energy out of Russia, at least, at least for now. I don't know if they'll ramp up the sanctions to, to do that, but it's, um, you get a sense of a premium in crude or is it, there's just so much going on. It's hard to, for, for, for this, uh, potential of lost Russian barrels, um, do you have a sense of how much, where would we be if Russia backs away? Well, given that uh, there's an, been an unlikely event, I think, but well, that that's really hard to measure, Jim, because given that it looks like incredibly the nuclear deal is about to about to be signed, you know, which is which is putting some pressure on the market and probably taking away some some of the premium. I mean, I had I had really thought that you know somewhere between five and ten dollars. Might be a uh, you know might be a premium to, to the market. I guess we'll we'll, we'll certainly find out. But um, those, those are the numbers. Yeah, that, that kind of number, I think the market has assigned a premium. I and mean, certainly, there's been a lot of talk about a hundred dollars. Jim, you've been talking about it since last year with those options, right? Yeah, um, I, I was. It's interesting what we saw. I'll bring up the options early this time because. Um, it's pretty interesting what we're seeing, but yeah, early in 2021, we start seeing people buy calls, $100 calls, and in for for decent of 2022, and that still remains the uh, largest uh, open interest strike over over 60,000. Um, there's been more, obviously, more call buying and call spread buying as as we rallied, and um, so this kind of option market, I wouldn't say it anticipated it, but it's not freaking out like the it did when um, the market collapsed in around Thanksgiving when, when the Omicron virus hit. So, you know, it's kind of a little more orderly. However, uh, we just saw March WTI options go off the board on February 16th. And previous to that, there was a lot of um, number, a lot of stuff in the press talking about an imminent invasion on February 14th. And so what we saw going up to that 14th was the, the skew flipped. So the, the skew is the sort of the out of the money put vol measured against the out of money call vol. So typically oil has a negative skew to uh, think about Mexico buying, you know, 200 million barrels to 300 million barrels worth of puts. And basically it blows out the volatility on the downside put. So we, so we compare, usually use a delta of like 25 and compare the 25 delta put and 25 delta call. 
it's usually negative. And it, uh, it flipped, it peaked on, on the 14th of February in, in the March option. And then March went off the board on the 16th. And so those, you know, it didn't happen. So they, you know, they didn't, uh, uh, those, 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 a lot of those options expired worthless. But at the same time, while this is going on, we're seeing a lot of put buying as well. So you, the, the, the pattern often day, many days is that you see a lot more calls trade than puts, but put open interest is increasing more than calls. So, so that's partly you're seeing call spreads, but you're also seeing people liquidating, getting out of their call positions that they put on, you know, at, at much lower prices. So, you know, you say, well, so there's a perfect, so options world is, is a perfect place for people to sort of uh, put positions on that uh, uh, reflect how they feel and the risk they want to take. So, you know, you want to, you want to protect against or profit from a move up in oil prices. You buy calls because you know exactly how much money you're spending on that, on that play. In the case of these March options, you lost, you know, you lost the premium you paid out. So at least you knew what that, you knew the risk going in. It's not like futures. So on the downside, you got these high prices and maybe people are looking at Iran coming on. Um, so they're, and you're seeing expansion, like in, we'll talk about a few minutes uh, in the US producers are looking to uh, produce more oil. And um, a lot of them had hedged using futures at much lower prices and they hadn't participated in uh, a lot of this rally uh, for some of their crude. And that, um, so, that, so at these prices, a buy put strategy makes a lot of sense because if, if there is, you know, Russian oil taken off the market or, uh, you know, a, a, a serious war breaks out and prices soar, uh, producers will still, you know, participate in the high price, but they'll have this downside protection. So again, it's a, it's a perfect uh, market for options for the, these conditions. However, uh, it's not, it's not free. Nothing's free. So this call buying and put buying has bid up the volatility to about 45%, which doesn't seem a lot. I think we were over 60% during the um, decline in price back in, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving. But at, you know, $90, uh, 45% vol is pretty high. Just think about, we, we set a, um, an all-time record low back in 2014 in, in the low teens of volatility uh, when the price is 100. So, so typically when you see prices high, the vol in crude uh, tends to go down. So, so 45%, you know, the, the long-term average is around 33%. So it's like 10, 15 points over its average. So, so basically it's telling you there's something, you know, something uh, potentially um, uh, going on that would create uh, a very volatile uh, market uh, down the road. So, uh, but that's, that's kind of what we're seeing. We are, we, even on this rally, we are seeing some uh, put, put buying and put open interest increasing. So, and that, and that skew I talked about is, is still positive for uh, April options and it's, it's off its high though. So, uh, but it's still in that weird um, sort of not usual uh, situation, obviously, because it's because of uh, Russia, Ukraine 
uh, situation. And the, and throw in Iran. And Iran, in Iran, yeah. And, and then, uh, yes, Iran. yes. And we're, we're in an environment of uh, very low inventories, you know, exceedingly low inventories. We're running globally. Uh, OECD inventories are something like 220 million below the uh, five-year average. Uh, a number of day supplies below the uh, day supply below the, the five-year average, which uh, certainly, I think, you know, adds to the volatility in the market. You know, it isn't like you can just go uh, into storage to, to make up what could be, you know, any type of, uh, any type of shortfall. You know, you've, you've got to, you have to buy the physical. And as a result, you know, we're seeing huge, huge premiums on the, on the physical market. You know, the, the BFO is, is trading something like um, $3 over uh, dated Brent. So, you know, you're, you're looking at physical prices, you know, in over $100. So we've been over, we've actually been over $100 yeah. on the physical market. Right. Yep. It's kind of, yeah. And, and, and um, that's, that's the reason why people were buying calls all, all last year is they're anticipating this tightness. Um, right. That's, and that's, that's the fundamental part. Um, yes. You know, exactly. no doubt. I mean, the market has, um, you know, as I mentioned on the inventories, we, we've had, um, I guess this is going to be this quarter, there could be a slight build. But if there isn't, it will be the eighth consecutive quarter of uh, drawing stocks. Um, yeah, let's, why don't we talk about that? Because um, I guess the EIA and the IEA are looking for oil surplus down the road, right. despite, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure they're expecting Russian oil to be on the market, but um, how, how do they come to those? And, you, and you're looking for a surplus. How do you come to that? Uh, why don't you take a... Uh, the, the yeah, demand I'm looking side. for. I'm looking. I'm still looking for slight surpluses. You know, this is without without Iran. I have a, a surplus this year of about half a million barrels a day, with slight increases in uh, you know in, in every quarter. And you know what I'm looking for. It looks like non-OPEC production. We're going to have a good. Uh, nice increase, you know, at least I think it's going to be well over 3 million barrels a day uh, of increase from uh, non-OPEC producers who will help to make up some of the shortfall, not all, but some of the shortfall from uh, OPEC plus. We're going to see, I think U.S. production is going to be up over a million barrels a day, throw in an increase of four to 500,000 barrels a day of uh, NGLs. And there's a million and a half right there from, uh, from the U.S. Canada too, I think you're looking at a couple of hundred thousand barrels a day. And there's, there've been positive developments in, in Argentina. The, vac, the Vaca Muerte is uh, actually showing some, some it's alive. <laughs> Yeah, it's alive. It's, it, 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 yeah, it, it, it's alive. Guiana, Guiana as well. Russia too is expected. Now there's a there you don't know, Jim. Yeah. You don't know where those you know you don't know where Russian production is going to um, you know come in on. Right. You know, whether, whether you know they they reduce production to you know counter counter the West. You know it. it 
it's obviously very unclear and uh, and Iran too you know is um, unclear to say the to say the least but let's talk about Iran because that's that's really important uh, Iran is producing two and a half million barrels a day before we pulled before we uh, pulled out of the uh, JCPOA they were 3.8. So, you know, it's possible that they can provide uh, quickly a half million barrels a day at least, and uh, possibly up to 1.3. The other thing about Iran, there's 90 million barrels of, of Iranian crude and, and condensates in, in storage. So, you know, we, we, can, we could see as soon as, I thought it was May, but uh, I, I guess the, the administration was talking about possibly as early as April. They talk in March, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I saw a blip from uh, a comment that uh, Jen Pasaki mentioned that oil could come out within a couple of within days. I assume they mean after the yeah the negotiations the are making progress. I assume they mean oil could come out within days after they uh, agree. But um, yeah, well, they're probably be- ready to roll. Yeah, well, that'll be all about the architecture of the waivers and, and how the sanction could be could be lifted. But you know, that's a, that's a fairly um, significant. That'll that's you know that'll change the balances again, depending on where um, you know where Russia comes in. But Russia is supposed to grow this year, crude plus condensates. You know, they could be up seven or eight hundred thousand barrels a day, just assuming you know that. Nothing else happens, but that—that's a huge assumption to say the least. Yeah, right. This this podcast may have a shelf life of a few minutes based on the way that things are developing, but um, we just have to go with what we can go with right now. Right. Um, so let's look at on the demand side, Andy. There are a lot of countervailing forces, as usual. Where I, I think um, most of these. Uh, the big three have demand uh, increasing maybe three and a half million barrels this year. Right. And um, yeah, that's right. Where do you, where do you see, where do you come out on this? And we're We're pretty close to that. We're, we're at uh, three, six for uh, demand for um, CRG's estimates. So we're, we're right, you know, we're right there. Some analysts are looking for like four to four and a half million barrels a day increase. And, um, you know, I haven't changed them yet, but if I do, I, I think it's going to be a downside uh, correction, Jim, you know, on, on the demand estimates. Certainly, it's, certainly the, the um, virus has, has, you know, it's, it seems it's having less and less of an effect on uh, demand and and as you pointed out um you know there's a there's a tremendous amount of pent up demand and hence i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of analysts are looking for for uh, a lot of the banks are looking for big increases you know when we start seeing uh increases in gasoline uh jet fuel certainly and uh and diesel you know but we'll, we'll have to see what what the um what higher interest rates what uh, inflation, what a possible wider war in Europe uh, brings to the uh, brings to the demand table. So, um, not not well, to mention uh, 
hefty utility bills from the wintertime. Yeah, uh, that's a great, right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, people are getting, people are going to go into shock when they start seeing their January and uh, their January bills. And, and certainly Europe has gotten absolutely clobbered. Well, I, I know I bring up New York often because that's where I live, but, um, you know, we, we don't, we restrict pipeline flow of gas from uh, Marcellus region, which is just, you know, stone's throw across the border. And um, a lot of people voted to, you know, not frack in New York and not allow gas. And, and guess what the big complaint is? <laughs> Everybody's complaining about their gas bills. <laughs> right. I wish yeah. uh, somebody would explain, you know, this is, this, this causes this, you know, but um, that's not the way things work. But um, yeah, we, we have access to it, you know, a whole reservoir of gas, not too far away. We can't get at it. But um, anyway, that's a, it's a, it's a real problem. Utility bills, it's a problem for the Northeast, but it's also also a big problem for, as you talked about, Europe is getting clocked even worse than we are. So that's got to take some, I don't know, you, what do you, how do you react to that? Do you still do uh, as many trips? Do you, do you drive? I don't know, but um, we're, we're going to find out. Yeah, I mean, people are going to have, you know, less, certainly less to spend uh, unless wages keep you know, keep up with, uh, with inflation. And then, you know, you don't know about sentiment. So I, I, you know, plus, you know, if we're not growing, you know, if the growth, if the U S global GMP growth, GDP growth is, um, stifled at all, obviously that's going to have an effect on demand. So I, I think these demand, I think a lot of these demand forecasts may be, may be too optimistic. As I said, I haven't changed mine yet, but, I'm not that far away. I'm not, we'll see what happens. We'll see how events develop. Yeah, it's a, it's a moving target. I mean, we, it looks like uh, more companies are going back to the office, you know, in, in um, you know, mid to late March. So, um, you know, there's all these countervailing uh, forces. And, and we'll, I'm, I'm guessing that your demand number as the IEA, the EIA, and OPEC's demand number will be revised often over the next few months? Well, the IEA just gave us a nice revision. You know, they, they just decided to uh, yeah. let 800,000 barrels a day to our baseline. Yeah. Um, which, you know, made a lot of sense because of their, you know, they always had imbalances on their balance, on their balances. The missing barrels. Yeah, the missing barrels. They found the them. Missing it, barrels have been found. Yeah, that, I think they, uh, they found... Uh, was a China China petrochemical demand and um, the Saudi LPG consumption? Uh, right, That's yeah, exactly right. Those yeah. are the, the two biggest uh, biggest factors. Um, yeah, it, it's it's hard, as you know, Andy. It's hard to count all the barrels it's, all the time. It's impossible. <laughs> I, I would just like to, uh, you know, hit the uh, hit the weekly numbers more than. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> once a month or whatever, whatever it is, you know, it's difficult. So yeah. um, a couple um, a couple random things, but um, Iran is probably taking an edge off the price. I mean, you said that the the price got up to 100, but 
none of the futures price didn't get up there. I don't think Brent uh, futures well, Brent got, got up to ninety nine fifty. Okay, um, that's close enough. So but it's yeah. But it's um dampened now, and you think that's because of Iran coming yes. on soon? Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's definitely a factor. You know, the U.S. is trying to say we're not going to. U.S. not trying. They are saying we're not going to sanction um, oil or natural gas, or we're not looking to sanction oil or uh, natural gas. But you know, it doesn't mean that there could, could be damage on the pipelines if there's a if there's a you know full scale full scale invasion or you know Russia pulls something. So um, and and if they do, you know, if there is a, if there is a disruption, you know, certainly there there will be release of. Um, of uh, strategic reserves globally, I, I think we could look for that right away. So that that's something else that that you know could could lend a, a damper. You know, we have to see how how events. You know, we'll have to see how events play out. The other um, interesting thing is uh, refining. Would you say it's kept up with demand or it's behind? Well, let's see margins. Well, because Brent just went vertical. Um, you know, refining margins in Europe are horrendous right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, U.S. margins are, are uh, you know, they're okay. The cracks have been, you know, the cracks have been rallying, you know, steady. Uh, runs still are, well, we're going to turnarounds now. But, um, you know, we certainly lost a lot of um, uh, capacity. You know, there have been, and we've talked about this, you know, over the last, I don't know, Jim, like three or four years, more longer, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, of all the plants that have, have closed in the uh, in the U.S. and that's you know that's demand for crude. So that that's that's where we're not going to be where we were at the peak on runs. But that's the bad news. The good news is that refiners are running uh, a lot more efficiently and uh, able to produce you know higher yields of both diesel and and gasoline. Um, you know, without that, that excess capacity, without that capacity. And most of those plants that closed were, you know, needed to be closed. Your, how can I put this? The uh, runs in pad two are decent relative to history, right? I mean, they're a little bit low, but lower, but not that much lower. But um, Cushing stocks are getting low relative to history. Is that, do you see that as a problem or? Is it, is we back to just the timing? Pro- I, don't, I, I don't think it's a problem. It certainly has contributed to the backwardation, which is coming off some in, in Cushing. It's going nuts in Europe, but, um, you know, in, in Cushing, the, it looks like the, the M1, M, the, the futures, the WTI futures are, are softening somewhat. It's still, you know, well over a dollar, but it's not $2. I think the, you know, one thing about Cushing is that it's, we don't need that much inventory. Uh, given given that some of the changing patterns on these uh, uh, pipelines, Cushing is basically just um, you know like a, a train station. You know, I mean, the train right. comes in, goes out. You yeah. Know, boom. So um, unless people uh, are waiting, it's less less well, barrels and to just you don't need to store them. They're just going right through it. Right. That's the, yeah, it's a through station. It's a through station. Trans, yeah. It's a transit point. And um, so we probably need less. I don't know, you know, the, the, 
uh, we're running at uh, like half, actually, almost exactly half the five-year average. So we probably need more than what's there. But operationally, I, I think we're, you know, I think we can probably get by with this kind of number, but it, uh, higher would be, would certainly be better. Right. What else, anything you want, what about prices going forward? I know this is uh, anybody's guess, but what do you, what do you think? Yeah, anybody's guess. I'm, I'm not, uh, I think you can tell by my, by some of the things we've talked about, you know, I'm, I'm not like crazy bullish here. Um, I'm just not, I, I certainly, yeah. Could the market spike? Of course it could spike, you know, depending on, uh, depending on events, but um, you know, if, if Iran, if that deal is done and with Iran, it's not done till it's done, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big game changer. Obviously what happens in, with uh, Russia being such a, a huge producer and exporter obviously that's a you know that, that's a big deal um and you know that that one's kind of hard to handicap but don't you know don't miss that there are strategic you know there are reserves are you, um, are you confident that opec plus can eventually meet its targets no they're, no. they're not going to meet their targets. there's no way that, that's that's not now no you know, you could add, maybe if you add, uh, they're running like 900,000 barrels a day below their, below their targets. And, um, you know, the, the key there is, as we've discussed, you know, you have, you have producers like mostly the African producers that, that just can't, is, you know, cannot make their, uh, their quotas mm. um, no matter what. You know, maybe maybe if there's billions of dollars of investments pouring into those countries over the next few years, you know, maybe by 24 or 25, they can make their 21, 22 quotas, but they can't, you know, they can't now. And sanctions are still on Venezuela, uh, but they're, they're not really, uh, they're not really quoted. You know, they're not, they're not under uh, quotas, you know, and, and the Saudis, uh, the Persian Gulf, Producers seem to be indicating for now that they're not going to. Um, the next meeting's March second. That we're still going to go in this incremental 400 a day, which is in reality 200 a day or less. You know the spare capacities in, in Saudi and, and UAE and, and uh, Iraq, and um, you know it doesn't look like presently, as we speak today, at this time that's. You know, Saudi really wants to increase production. Right. But if, if there's a disruption, you know, the U.S. is obviously going to put on some serious, you know, there'd be serious pressure on the, on the Saudis to, to increase. Uh, and we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see where they fall. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, so let's say that we get your 500,000 barrel a day build for 2022 and we have the demand that you have 3.6 increase, that's still going to be a tight market when we come out of the year, right? I mean, that's, you're talking oh, yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think we're looking at any type of price, you know, collapse into like the 50s, you know, or, or maybe even the 60s. Could I see 70s? Yeah, easily. Right. Easily, you know, if things clear up and, 
in the Ukraine and the Iranian barrels come on and we start rebuilding inventories. And the other thing is there's a tremendous amount of length in, in the, ironically to the US market, not so much in Brent. I think Brent's like five to one, long to short. WTI is like 15 to one. Hmm. Um, you know, you start unwinding that too. Right. The market, the market could come off hard. No, maybe not hard. You know, uh, could come off from these levels. Yeah, there's, a, there's an Omicron subvirus coming out. And uh, I just re- was reading about it today. Apparently, it's even uh, uh, it it it's even easier to catch, but they think it's mild, so it probably won't have. It's it's like a, I think a small percent in the U.S. but uh, growing. But um, yeah, we'll see. It. There's also the possibility of another sort of uh, variant coming out, which we're we're. I think we're kind of like saying, "Bring it on!" We're not. We're we're going back to normal. Whether right, whether, like you said, as you said earlier. Yeah. Well, I said before we got on on the. We had enough. Yeah, I mean, I I was telling Andy before we got on here that I had, I had three shots and I got COVID two weeks ago, and now it, it's like uh, I'm free. I'm you know I went I'm going to my gym. I'm going out. You know, in in this this area seems to be the same though. I don't see a lot of people wearing masks and it is a very masked up place. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I think it's going to be a tight, I, I guess I get nervous when I'm with the consensus and the consensus seems to be that this is a tight market and we're more likely to go to something like, you know, 115 than we are to, uh, say 75, you know, and I, and I agree with that, but I just don't like, being in that camp because I'm, I know I'm with the consensus. Right. I mean, some people are, are you know, you have some, uh, some of the banks and analysts who are completely, you know, who, who've like X'd out the bearish, you know, some of the big, some of the bearish variables saying the market can't possibly go down. Right. And then when that happens, you're in a dangerous spot. Yeah. That's what makes me nervous. Yeah. I think I'd rather be a put buyer than a call buyer right now, but we'll see. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, anything else, Andy, you want to add? Because it's a, uh, it, this, this is a, uh, we always say there's a lot going on, but this market is very fluid. Like I said, we, we, tomorrow we, we could get a piece of news and everything's flipped. Exactly. You know, we've lived through, we've lived through, um, the geopolitical developments in, in the oil market, our, our whole careers, Jim, and, and certainly we went through two of the biggest in, in where, you know, there was a war in the Persian Gulf, which is one of the worst, you know, worst possible scenarios for, uh, for oil. I think one thing that we did learn is, is what you think is going to happen, you know, may not necessarily happen. And, uh, you know, I think all of us who are of a certain age uh, will remember the night that the bombing started in, uh, you know, in Baghdad. And uh, everybody was like, oh, you know, the market's going to the moon. And it went straight down. Yeah. Different scenario, different situation. Yeah. But um, I, I don't think there were, you know, there were all that many people who were handicapping that it was going to go straight down. No, not that, not that hard. 
and no, not at all. I remember that very much. Uh, big, it's one of the biggest uh, drops in implied vol. We, we ended up going from something like 120, 120% down to, I don't know, 85 in one day. And we, um, we got a lot of our customers short vol at 85. They're, you know, they're saying, wait a second, we just dropped so much. I said, yeah, but the, the response from Iraq was so sort of feeble that it was kind of clear that somewhat clear that the market was not going to, was going to bounce back from its collapse, but it was going to kind of move sideways more. Like the, the volatility, the worst days of the volatility was behind us. And, and we had some people sell 85% all the way down to 20. And uh, they had some of their best years ever. Um, One night. Yeah. Only, only to, <laughs> I used to give out those option of the year awards, option trade of the year awards. And I, I gave it out. And um, uh, the next year, a lot of those folks gave it, gave a lot of it back. And it was, so I, it became the option trade of the year award became a curse. It was, it was like, it's like four years in a row. I gave it out in the following year, the same trading group or person kind of got smacked around. So I stopped, I stopped giving it out. Anyway, that's, uh, that's all I have, Andy. We are, uh, I think any, anything else you want to add? Well, I want to, um, if you have any questions or uh, want to get a hold of us, uh, my email address is alebeau at uh, commodityresearchgroup.com. Feel free to just drop me an email. And I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew LeBeau. Great. And uh, we'll see you next month. All right, Jim. Thanks.